Hello, folks, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Federalist Files. We're starting up with the Federalist Paper Podcasts once again. Uh, this one's going to be Federalist number 57. It is titled The Alleged Tendency of the New Plan to Elevate the Few at the Expense of the Many. Written by James Madison, February 19, 1788. Topics include representatives will be sympathetic to the people and laws will pertain to everyone, even elected officials. This is something that's kind of been lost on us now today. Uh, this paper is generally the objective of, of this one is to answer Madison's dissenters that are claiming that the representatives, as in the House of Reps, will not be sympathetic to the needs of the people because they can't relate to the people themselves, which is much more actually a relative argument to today than it is uh, back then at that time. Uh, so he starts off, Madison, he begins his paper by outlining the third charge against the House of Representatives by his objectors. He states, and I quote, it will be taken from the class of citizens which will have least sympathy with the mass of the people and be most likely to aim at an ambitious sacrifice of the many of, to the aggrandizement of the few. Of all the objections which have been framed against the federal constitution, this is perhaps the most extraordinary, end quote. So essentially, you know, the dissenter is saying that the mass of the people will not matter to these few uh, elected officials, and it will be the aggrandizement of the very few, almost like an oligarchy-like structure. Remember, I've we've talked about oligarchy before. Being a collected or a connected class of citizen, uh, the very whether it's by socioeconomic status, whether it's by you know how much money you have. Uh, what your profession is, what religion you hold, and, and this was historically relevant in terms of when it comes to France, when it comes to Great Britain, uh, pretty much Europe in a general sense, that was an actual real fear to hold. Now, it's much more the oligarchy consists of the upper class elitists and the liberal institutions as well as big tech organizations, a lot of big business entities, I would say, represent the oligarchy of modern day times. And obviously the politicians that, that connect those people. So he continues, uh, he states, and I quote, Whilst the objection itself is leveled against a pretended oligarchy, the principle of it strikes at the very root of Republican government. The aim of every political constitution is or ought to be first to obtain for rulers men who possess most wisdom to discern and most virtue to pursue the common good of the society, and in the next place to take the most effectual precautions for keeping them virtuous whilst they continue to hold their public trust, end quote. So he says the root of every single Republican system, Republican government, is to have uh, intelligent rulers, I guess, rulers, men, I don't really like to call them rulers, but rather politicians, that possess wisdom to discern, uh, and the virtue to pursue the common good of society. And in the next place, more importantly, is to keep them to their public trust, keep them and hold them accountable for the people. So then Madison next, he contends. He states, and I quote, The elective mode of obtaining rulers is the characteristic policy of Republican government. The means relied on in, on in this form of government for preventing their degeneracy are numerous and various. The most effectual one is such a limitation of the term of appointments 
as will maintain a proper responsibility to the people, end quote. So it says to answer this, this idea, how do we hold them accountable to the public trust of the people? And he says, oh, the mode of elections and, and having an election every, you know, two years is the most adequate way to hold them responsible. And it makes them dependent and reliant on the people. So Madison, he argues the representatives cannot betray the people or else the preservation of their office would be no longer. He notes, and I quote, the electors are to be the great body of the people of the United States. They are to be the same who exercise the right in every state of electing the corresponding branch of the legislature of the state who are to be the objects of popular choice. And that's a question who are to be the objects of popular choice. Every citizen whose merit may recommend him to the esteem and confidence of his country, no qualification of wealth or of birth of religious faith or of civil profession is permitted to fetter the judgment or disappoint the inclination of the people, end quote. So this is actually very important here. And, and he mentions that safeguard against an oligarchy. He says, there's no qualification of wealth, birth, religious faith, uh, civil profession. None of that is a standard or a modifier for you to, or qualification for you to get the job as a politician, as a uh, House of Rep member. And another important distinction he makes is... Uh, he talks about the electors and how the electors are to be f selected as well from the great body of the people. They're supposed to also be very representative of the people. They work as an extra uh, safeguard as well. So instilling, and, and he goes on just to explain it and put it in a better uh, scope here, instilling that this is a merit-based system of which the people will decide your qualifications and they should not be based on other trivial factors. Madison lists that these representatives will be distinguished by the preference of their fellow citizens, contain gratitude from the affection of their constituents, aspirations of pride and vanity that will keep them on the path of the people, and most importantly, a habitual re recollection of dependence on the people. These are all powerful qualities and concepts that make the representatives sympathetic towards the mass of the people and dependent on their will. So just, just in a simple sense, it makes you much more dependent on the people uh, now, nowadays, in modern times, it's much more, there's a qualification of wealth to an extent. But actually, I think that there's a bigger deal in terms of um, ethnicity in politics when it comes to electing officials now. In today's modern day age, it depends on what kind of, uh, what level of the intersectionality scale you were on, if you were gay, if you were black, if you were Hispanic, or you, if you are, you know, if you meet the intersectionality qualification, then you're much, you, you naturally inherently are somehow more virtuous than an other person that is running against you. I think there's a lot to be said about that in terms of wealth. Yeah. To an extent, because that helps you advertise yourself, helps you get out there. Uh, the, the idea of you being like a collected, a connected person or a connected citizen. Now, when it comes to uh, religion, I don't think that really helps in any way. Unless if you derive from Islam, that's the only time it'll help you being religious in politics. So, but but this intersectionality, this standard, this this oligarchical structure that we have currently in modern day times has actually really not been pushed. Uh, in terms of government, it has not been a government regulation for an oligarchy. So this system that we currently have of government, once again, there's nothing broken with the system of government that we have. What is broken is the people running the system. And then also you have private industry leaking in and um, suppressing the people 
I just saw Project Veritas. James O'Keefe just got taken off of Twitter because he exposed CNN for like a third or fourth time at this point. Because CNN has people that work in their industry that go to a bar, have a couple of drinks, and then talk about how they purposefully pretty much threw the election. <laughs> they purposely uh, suppressed certain content. And they played a phony, fake, fraudulent, erroneous narrative, admittedly so. And they got away with it. And he's bragging about it. Now that he's at the bar, he gets undercover videotaped. James O'Keefe comes out with that information. Which which now, you know, I pre-record these, so I would have just covered this uh, this weekend. So actually, go check out the weekend special. I'm going to have that for sure on there. So I'm going to continue here. He goes on next, he states, and I quote, In the first place, as they will have been distinguished by the preference of their fellow citizens, we are to presume that in general they will be somewhat distinguished also by those qualities which entitle them to it, and which promise a sincere and scrupulous regard to the nature of their engagements. In the second place, they will enter into the public service under circumstances which cannot fail to produce a temporary affection, at least to their constituents, there is in every breast a sensible sensibility to mark of honor, of favor, of esteem, and of confidence, which apart from all considerations of interest in some pledge of grateful and benevolent returns. So he's saying the fact that these people are even in this position and the people trust them enough, uh, they will naturally have an adherence and a loyalty to the people. They will be grateful to the people themselves. And this is him just, he's going to keep stating why... They're saying the House of Representatives are going to be representative of people that really don't care about the mainstream, don't care about the the main population. And he's going on to explain why that just is not the case. And once again, this would all be easier in modern day times if our media wasn't so uh, biased and just malfeasant in behavior naturally now at this point i mean we know it we see we see the people talking and bragging about it so there's a lot of evidence to uh support that reasoning i'm not really conjecturing off of that so then he goes on next and he states and oh and another part i want to point out in this last quote where he mentioned sincere and scrupulous regard to the nature of their engagements that's something that does not go on they don't think the the mainstream media the politicians they don't think or I'm sorry, the legacy corporate media, I keep using mainstream, meanwhile, their opinions really are not that of the mainstream of the population, it is of the corporate interests and of the politicians' interests. But you don't see this today where there's there's a regard, there's a almost, a, as he, he states it as a scrupulous or rather, what's the other word that you can use? He's very, very careful. They're not careful in the things that they push. Uh, They are pushing to expand the Supreme Court. They're pushing for gun legislation to take guns away from citizens that have attempted to defend themselves. Law-abiding citizens, might I add. Uh, These business owners right now currently in Minnesota, getting their businesses destroyed. The government doesn't care. The government will do nothing to step up and stop insurrections. When is it that the government, is it only when there's a... uh, there's a siege on the on the Capitol building is the only time that the government will step up and try, attempt to stop or rectify an insurrection. It's only when it's politically convenient. There is two different... We, we live in a double standard country where if you are on the right side, you are hit with the book in full-fledged mode. And if you're on the left, you are glorified and exalted as a saint, even when not complying with uh, police orders. And having a very, very bad past on, on top of that. being Being somebody that victimizes an entire 
their entire neighborhood, and then is somehow exalted as as a as a saint later in life. So he goes on here. He states, and I quote. In the third place, those ties which bind the representative to his constituents are strengthened by motives of a more selfish nature. His pride and vanity attach him to a form of government which favors his pretensions and gives him a share in its honors and distinctions. Whatever hopes or projects might be entertained by a few aspiring characters, it must generally happen that a great proportion of the men deriving their advancement from their influence with the people would have more to hope from a preservation of the favor than from innovations in the government subverse of the authority of the people. So they want to be in a, what he's saying is the people in the House of Reps are going to be so smart and they're going to be able to figure out and because they're going to be so dependent on the people that the preservation of rights, the preservation of freedom, the preservation of the Constitution will become paramount because if you put it on a scale in weight next to um, trying to subvert the authority and the will of the people, you will greatly, it will be uh, very fallible. You will lose. Uh, you have nothing to benefit from that. And that's what he's saying. You try to take more rights away from the people, or you can preserve their rights. You'd much rather preserve their rights, because then you will be elected out of office. You will be treated like a second-class citizen. The, you should never attempt to subvert the will and the authority of the people. And that's what he's saying now. And that's something that's obviously lost today. So he's going to go on. He states next, and I quote, all these securities, however, would be found very insufficient without the restraint of frequent elections. Hence, in the fourth place, the House of Representatives is so constituted as to support in the members an hab a habitual recollection of their dependence on the people before the sentiments impressed on their minds by the mode of their elevation can be effaced by the exercise of power. They will be compelled to anticipate the moment when their power is to seize, when their exercise of it is to be reviewed, and when they must descend to the level from which they were raised. They're forever to remain unless a faithful discharge of their trust shall have established their title to a renewal of it. End quote. That's just a very uh, decadent way to illustrate how important the will of the people is is and how important it is to be and obviously the frequency of elections that really hold uh the house of representatives responsible there's a lot of i've said responsible or responsibility or accountability like five times thus far and that's really uh, the importance of the pieces that and, and in a general sense of government is that they are supposed to be responsible and accountable and held to a standard by the people themselves and, and as well as the corporate media or the media the real media wherever they are they're, they're all retired so he goes on, and I quote, I will add, as a fifth circumstance in the situation of the House of Representatives, restraining them from oppressive measures that they can make no law, which will not have, and this is a very important quote, that they can make no law which will not have its full operation on themselves and their friends, as well as on the great mass of the society. This has always been deemed one of the strongest bonds by which human policy can connect the rulers and the people together end quote so he's saying this standard that you hold the people to whatever law you enact yourself you are going to also have to deal with um you you along with the people are kind of in the same boat and that's really what he's trying to allude to here and nowadays tax law you have politicians that push for low tax i mean for high taxes high tax rates 
but there's certain if you if you notice there are certain there are certain policies that they will not push for specifically certain parts of codes of law that they will not attempt to implement and it is because they have their own corporate interests they have their own money that they will use to dodge so they'll complain in, in one breath they will complain about the tax code and how there's all of these loopholes quote unquote and really that's not a, it's not a loophole it's called the law there's all these laws they will complain about them and when corporate industry when business use them to dodge taxes then they will complain about them but if you go back and you look at their returns, they're you, they're doing the exact same thing. And these politicians as well are laundering money through some sort of fake business, whether through a, it's a family member or not. Um, they will, for example, and this is this is in simple sense. People can simply do this in their own regular life. They can claim that they are paying for somebody else's college, even if they are not paying for that person's college, because that per that person that is going to college has so many deductions. And they don't really work a full-time job uh, that, like, let's, yeah, that they can claim it as a deduction. That, or, or if they claim it as a deduction, their return is garbage. So another person will claim it as a deduction so they get a better return and then they can split the money. That's not necessarily, a, to me, that's not really a loophole, but that's the way they explain it and they devise it as a loophole. What you do, whether you're moving money from one, with celerity from one, from one, account to another it doesn't really matter the government should have no they have so much invasive powers on what you do with your money it's it's insane so they shouldn't really know what you do but to the standard that's what the left would consider a tax loophole and politicians commonly take advantage of these loopholes and then in the same breath they complain about somebody else doing so so that's the best way i could try to explain it and then i mean i would like to say that second amendment gun legislation when they go to pass it and they they take away second amendment rights for you know quote unquote gun control for the quote unquote greater good not allowing people that live in high crime areas to defend themselves their family and their property when they do that when they hurt the like the minority population in this country because that's what they love doing and then they cowtail and act like they really care about the minority population when they do that just remember all these politicians they have armed security so for them it doesn't matter see that that's that's the point that i'm uh, trying to make in modern times like a lot of these principles they had very good theme to them if you were able to preserve all the rights of the citizenry these themes would be still be correct today but the government has continued to take more and more rights away from the people thus not ensuring the legitimacy of this this document does not have the same emphasis it does not have the same efficacy that it would have had if these rights were preserved themselves. So Madison asserts that this principle is critical. Every government absent of this principle degenerates into tyranny. Without it, what is to stop the House of Representatives? Uh, and, and I quote, from making legal discriminations in favor of themselves and a particular class of society. Whoa, isn't that, that is, that is so relevant to today. <laughs> Uh, House of Representatives, depending on what, what racial group you're in now, the government's trying to give special preference, whether you can get a vaccination or not, uh, preference in hiring, preference in going to school, whether you get a scholarship or not. That is all That is all legal discriminations currently under U.S. code law or in state law code. So Madison, he concludes, and I quote, if this spirit shall ever be so far debased as to tolerate a law not obligatory on the legislature as well as on the people, the people will be prepared to tolerate anything but liberty, end quote. And this is a point that we have not gotten to. What he's saying is 
the people themselves, if, if this is not the law, if this is not what the House of Representatives follows, if they don't follow this standard here, then the people will be willing to, they'll be prepared to tolerate anything uh, but liberty. So he goes on, in summation, the legislature shall never pass a law applicable to the people that they aren't prepared to follow themselves. Any attitude of this kind will not and shall not be tolerated by the people. Madison characterizes that the relationship between the representatives and the people, uh, he explains it, and I quote, the genius of the whole system, the nature of just and just and constitutional laws, and above all, the vigilant and manly spirit which actuates the people of america a spirit which nourishes freedom and in return is nourished by it if this spirit shall ever be so far debased as to tolerate a law not obligatory on the legislature as well as on the people the people will be prepared to tolerate anything but liberty such will be the relation between the house of the representatives and their constituents duty gratitude interest ambition itself are the cords by which they will be bound to fidelity and sympathy with the great mass of the people so now that better explains it it's in better context i had a double quote here so he's saying that yes the people would be willing to tolerate anything but liberty they would be willing to fight uh if the legislature if there's some sort of law that's not obligated on the legislature but obligated on the people themselves only so although the system isn't perfect in controlling the wickedness of man, it is the best one human prudence can devise. And this is what he starts to go on to say. Madison objects to the dissenters detailing that representatives will be elected by approximately five to 6,000 citizens, whereas state representatives are to be elected by about as many in hundreds. Madison asserts that five to 6,000 citizens are more capable of choosing a fit representative and less likely to be corrupted by one than five or six hundred citizens so really the objection is we're having the this system where you know uh, five to six thousand citizens are electing are electing uh citizen or, or electing one house of rep member and i think that's just not the case i think it was i think he mentioned it earlier or something like thirty thousand but he's explaining why more of a number, a higher number of people electing a representative is actually better than a lower amount of people electing a representative. So the dissenters wanted actually more House of Rep members and wanted the proportionality to be more less people per rep member. So he's going on. He'll, he'll explain this. Hold the bucket. And I quote, this cannot be said without maintaining that five or six thousand citizens are less capable of choosing a fit representative or more liable to be corrupted by an unfit one than five or six hundred. Reason on the contrary assures us that as in no in as in so great a number, a fit representative would be most likely to be found. So the choice would be less likely to be diverted from him by the intrigues of the ambitious or the ambitious or the bribes of the rich, end quote. So he's saying you're going to have a, a wider spectrum of people. You're going to have 10 times more people if it's if it's five or 6,000 citizens, whereas with five or 600, you may not be able to find a fit representative uh, amongst that many people. And then also, the smaller the number of people, he's saying the better uh, chance that they're taking, that they're diverted, they're, they're uh, tricked or hoodwinked. I think that's what he's trying to say. Or no, rather, rather, he's not saying that. He's saying rather the less people that are dependent on this representative um, or, or the less people that the representative is dependent on with people, 
that's going to make them more likely to follow through uh, on personal greed and more ambitious to from bribes of the rich of the richer class so if they are more dependent on more people they're going to actually be more worried about uh their own personal greed they're not going to you know take part in in personal avarice or greed so madison concludes by detailing the standards of eligibility to represent a a county in uh, great britain which allows only specific attainments of wealth and ownership of real estate are achieved so he states and i quote it was shown in the last paper that the real representation in the British House of Commons very little exceeds the proportion of one for every 30,000 inhabitants besides a variety of powerful causes not existing here and which favor in that country the pretensions of rank and wealth. No person is eligible as a representative of a county unless he possess real estate of the clear value of 600 pounds sterling per year nor of a city or borough unless he possess a like estate of half that annual value so what he's specifically talking about in this case if you wanted to be in the house of commons in great britain you had to be a specific rank you had to have a specific amount of money you had to you had to possess a real estate in america that's that's not going to be the case there's no economic status that you need to be in uh, federally mandated for you to be in the House of Representatives. So it goes on. States, and I quote, to this qualification on the part of the county representatives is added another on the part of the county electors, which restrains the right of suffrage to people having a free, to persons having a freehold estate of the annual value of more than 20 pounds sterling, according to the present rate of money, notwithstanding these unfavorable circumstances and notwithstanding some very unequal laws in the British Code, it cannot be said that the representatives of the nation have elevated the few on the ruins of the many. End quote. So saying, considering all of this, you have these electors also in the counties, they needed as well to have an estate and have a certain amount of money there's a standard for that too and he says even all that being said it cannot be said that the representatives of the nation have elevated the few on the ruins of the many even though they personally needed so much money and there was all these standards and america doesn't even leave those standards america leaves it free for everybody to run so additionally madison asserts that in some current states the state legislature the state legislators have about the same number of voters as the federal representative so the proportionality is very similar and that's how i think he ends this when he talks about a couple of them he states and i quote the districts of new hampshire in which the senators are chosen immediately by the people are nearly as large as will be necessary for her representatives in the congress those of massachusetts are larger than will be necessary for that purpose and those of new york still more so in the last state, the members of assembly, as in New York, he's talking about New York, he's referencing. So in the last state, the members of assembly for the cities and counties of New York and Albany are elected by nearly, very nearly as many voters as will be entitled to a representative in the Congress, calculating on the number of 65 representatives only. It makes no difference that in these senatorial districts and counties, a number of representatives are voted for by each elector at the same time. If the same electors at the same time are capable of choosing four or five representatives, they cannot be incapable of choosing one, end quote. So he's just, he's, he's 
explaining the scheme of all of these different states and saying if those states if that all works for them why is it that it can't work for us the proportionality why is it uh, if if it's inadequate, why is every other state doing the same thing? So he goes on to explain a couple more states. So he says Pennsylvania, in an additional example, some of her counties which elect her state representatives are almost as large as her districts will be by which her federal representatives will be elected. The city of Philadelphia is supposed to contain between 50 and 60,000 souls. It will therefore form nearly two distinct I'm sorry, two districts for the choice of federal representatives. It forms, however, but one county in which every elector votes for each of its representatives in the state legislature. So more importantly, this part, the very end is crazy here. He says it forms one county in which every elector votes for each of its representatives in the state legislature, which is something I've never even heard of. That's insane. Uh, Because then Philly... Philadelphia is running the entire state legislature by itself. By It holds more value and holds more of a vote. Uh, their vote, if you're a citizen in Philly, was more important than a vote outside of Philly. That's really all he's saying. And additionally, in Philly, you had 60,000 inhabitants at this time, so they would have two federal representatives, but all of Philly only had, from, from what this says, it had one county to represent that entire thing. So, so he's saying this system that we have, it's all over the place in the states, and that they all make it work. Why is it that the federal representatives uh, can't make it work? So at the very to end here, he goes on to explain Connecticut. He states, and I quote, One branch of the legislature of Connecticut is so constituted that each member of it is elected by the whole state. So is the government of that state of Massachusetts and of this state and the president of New Hampshire... I leave every man to decide whether the result of any one of these experiments can be said to countenance a suspicion that a diffusive mode of choosing representatives of the people tends to elevate traitors and to undermine the public liberty, end quote. So this one's really interesting when he talks about Connecticut. So the, the one branch of the legislature of Connecticut is so constituted that each member of it is elected by the whole state. That's very interesting. So let's say they have, so for example, in the state of New Jersey, there's so many state legislatures, legislators, each, you know, there's each district that votes for their legislator. In Connecticut, they have the system where, you know, you can have 20 of them up for election at once and everybody goes to vote for every single one of them, which is very, that's not really, uh, that's not really Republican in nature, to be honest with you. That's how it was at the time. I'm sure it's not like that anymore. So to end here, dependent on the population of the less numerous states, the same concept relates to the legislature of some states where they hold provisions that the entire state elects the entire legislature, like I like I stated in Connecticut. Therefore, Madison believes that the proposed system of choosing federal representation is a very fit one. That ends this one. Uh, I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in. Just a key concept to take from this one, and, and probably the most important concept to take, I had it uh, marked up, is that every single law... Uh, that is devised and passed by the legislative branch should also be should be applied to them as well. It's applicable to federal the federal legislators as well as the entire country. Uh, now we commonly lose that that has commonly been lost upon us, where we have politicians that almost live and they really, especially the Democrat politicians, none of them go to prison for any of the corrupt things that they do ever. 
um, proven corrupt things because we, we don't go through with investigations on them. We only go through with investigations on Republicans for two years that find out to be nothing, whether it's a total goose egg. But they're just not held to the same standard, and that is what the founders wanted. The founders wanted uh, the House of Rep as well as the legislature, all government officials to be held to the same standard as the people, especially if they're pushing legislation. It's the idea of uh, do as I say, not as I do. So thank you for tuning in, everybody. I greatly appreciate it. I'm actually glad to get back into these. I like doing these a lot because uh, I can pontificate about what I can try to relate it to today in modern time, modern day language. So I greatly appreciate it. Please like, share, subscribe, drop the mic, let the people know about the podcast. It is the only way I get the word out is uh, word of mouth between people talking to each other about it because I cannot advertise it this time. I'm going to look into that. I haven't really been looking into it as much just because I keep... I just keep rolling with more and more content. I don't have as much time to really look into the business part of things. But I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in. And have a good one. I will see you all on uh, Wednesday. Thank you. Hey.